and we're back with another episode of the anarchist experience episode 248 aka season three episode 68 uh coming at you this week as always i am your host mr rich e rich uh flying solo again this week mc is still uh trouncing about the country uh visiting family and friends and doing the vacation thing um not able to get in front of a computer and record with me today so here i am baby uh doing my thing alone and you know what that means another edition of richie rich reads the news uh if you're not familiar with that is uh it's me being lazy uh, because I have no one really to talk to and bounce ideas off of. Uh, it's pretty much just me going through the news and the show prep that I have for the week. So if that is not your thing, you don't like current events, you don't like the perspective that I bring, you like the conversational aspect, uh, skip it and, and check back with us next week. Otherwise, uh, you know what that you know what we're doing. Uh, Richie Rich reads the news. So here we go. And since the big news uh, this week is the uh, bombing of that general, whatever his name is, out of Iran... Um, uh, everyone's covering that from, from every perspective you can think of. People are getting in trouble for supporting Iran. Uh, people are saying like, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, so we have to cover it. And so scouring the news reports, um, I don't want to get into necessarily what happened because there's enough out there for that. Uh, but I did find this article from antiwar.com, which used to get more use as show prep, but hasn't, uh, in recent years, um, I, th I think honestly, uh, because they do a lot of in-depth coverage of things, uh, and I don't trust you, the audience, to, to stick around for that. But in this case, uh, because I have a lot of time to fill and no one to bounce ideas off of, and it's the raging story uh, since it happened a few days ago, uh, anti-wars coverage is thus. The Donald is now America first's own assassin. Uh, by the by, the twisting logic of imperial Washington, you could say that Iranians were asking for it. After all, they had the nerve to locate their country right in the middle of 35 U.S. military bases. Then again, your saner angels may ask, what in the hell is Washington doing with a massive military footprint in a region and in a string of backwater countries that have virtually no bearing on homeland security, safety, and liberty? Djibouti, Oman, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, Afghanistan, Bahrain, Kuwait, and yes, Iraq and Iran. In fact, Washington destroyed the former for no good reason, and based on egregious big lies about Saddam's non-existent WMDs and sheltering of Al-Qaeda, that turned Iraq into a failed state hellhole pulsating with sectarian friction and anti-American grievances, even as the... Rump state of Iraq centered in Baghdad fell under the control of Iran, friendly Shiite politicians and militias. At the same time, Iran ran itself Iran itself is zero threat to the American homeland. Its tiny $350 billion GDP amounts to six days of U.S. annual output, and its $20 billion defense budget is equivalent to what the Pentagon wastes every eight days. Militarily, it has no blue water navy, an air force that could double as a Cold War museum, and a short and medium range missile force that is self-evidently dedicated to defense and deterrence in the region, not an attack on the U.S. way over there, yonder side of the deep blue sea. Its 300 or so active aircrafts, for example, include 175 U.S. F-4s, F-5s, F-14s, and sundry transports, 
helicopters and trainers purchased by the Shah during the 70s and kept together since the revolution with baling wire and bubblegum. It also fields 60 or so Soviet vintage MiG-29s and Sukhoi Su attack aircrafts, plus a few dozen European and Chinese planes of mostly ancient design. Likewise, even its most advanced medium-range cruise missile, Sumar, can barely get to Rome, Italy, to say nothing of Rome, Georgia. As is evident from the yellow, green, red, and black circles on the map below, uh, check the article for that, which circles with, with which circles outline each missile striking range, the overwhelming bulk of Iran's missile force has a range of 500 miles or less. These missiles are capable of hitting targets in the immediate vicinity of the Persian Gulf, or roughly the same area which encompasses the 35 military bases designated by American flags in the graphic above. And again, see the article for that. Stated differently, Iran's extremely modest military capacities are not remotely about an offensive threat to the American homeland. They are overwhelmingly about defending itself in its own neighborhood, where Washington has been intervening and occupying with massive firepower and hostile intent for decades. Therein, of course, lies a hint. Uh, more than 13 years after Saddam's last hurrah on a Baghdad gallows, the U.S. still has upwards of 30,000 troops and contractors in the immediate vicinity of the Persian Gulf. But why? It can't be owing to ISIS. The Islamic State was never much more than a no-count salient of dusty, woebegone towns and villages of the upper, upper Euphrates straddling western Iraq and northern Syria that was de destined to collapse on its own barbaric madness anyway and which was essentially dispatched by the Russian Air Force, Assad's military, and the Shiite militia forces organized by the dead man himself, Major General Soleimani. Likewise, it should be obvious by now that it's not the oil either. At the moment, the U.S. is producing nearly 13 million barrels per day and is the world's leading oil producer, well ahead of Saudi Arabia and Russia, and is now actually a net exporter of crude for the first time in three quarters of a century. Uh, besides, the fifth fleet has never been the solution to oil security. The cure for high prices is high prices. As the great U.S. shale oil and Canadian heavy oil boom so cogently demonstrate, among others. And the route to global oil industry stability is peaceful commerce because virtually every regime, regardless of po politics and ideology, needs all the oil revenue it can muster to fund its own rule and keep its population reasonably pacified. Surely, there is, a better, there is no better case for the latter than that of Iran itself. With an economy burnt, uh, burdened by decades of war, sanctions and misrule, and an 80 million population that aspires to Western standards of living. So left to its own devices, Tehran would produce 5 million barrels per day from its abundant reserves. That's barely one-tenth of its present meager output, which is owing to Washington's vicious sanctions against any and all customers for its oil and potential investors in modernizing and expanding its production capacity. So if it's not ISIS or oil, exactly why does Washington maintain the circle of 35 bases displayed in the graphic above and keep thousands of U.S. troops and other personnel in harm's way in the region? Or, more to the moment, why has the Donald been unable to bring the forces home as he so often proclaimed to be his policy? The answer, of course, uh, 
is that the foreign policy apparatus of the U.S. government is controlled by anti-Iran neocons and regime changers. We are still in Syria not to fight ISIS, which is gone, but to block Iran's land route to its allies in Syria and Lebanon, Hezbollah. And we remain in Iraq solely to use it as a base for clandestine U.S. and Israeli attacks on these allies and proxy forces. These Washington instigated or conducted attacks on Iranian allies, in fact, are why there was growing pressure in the Iraqi government to demand that the U.S. finally leave. These pressures will now become overwhelming in light of this week's U.S. bombing of five PMF, uh, Popular Mobilization Forces, which are Shiite militias that have been integrated into the Iraqi army and which are under the command of its prime minister and last night's assassination of their deputy commander, along with Soleimani. To be sure, Iran's choice of allies has nothing to do with America's homeland security. None of these sovereign governments of Lebanon, where Hezbollah is leading the leading political party, or Syria, or even Iraq, which is an ostensible U.S. ally, have protested these confessions, uh, i.e. Shiite-based arrangements and the aid and benefit from which, uh, which, and benefits which flow from them. That's because the so-called Shiite crescent is a boogeyman invented by Bibi Netanyahu and is the excuse for his hysterical anti-Iranian foreign policy. The latter is not even designed to enhance Israel's own security, but to vilify a far enemy that can keep his right-wing coalition glued together and himself in power. Likewise, the U.S. military-industrial complex's greed and appetite for power and pelf is so voracious that it will embrace any and all missions anywhere on the planet, no matter how stupid or futile or immoral, as per the case of 19 years in Afghanistan that keeps the budgetary loot flowing. Accordingly, the Washington apparatus conspires to keep the 35 Mideast bases in place to trigger actions like last night's insane assassination of Iran's foremost military leader in order to reify the threat and to periodically stoke tensions and counterattacks that keep missions alive and the forces deployed. Indeed, we are hard-pressed to imagine a more poignant case for the pot calling the kettle black than Washington's claim that it had to retaliate uh, owing to actual and expected Iranian aggression, quote-unquote. For crying out loud, Washington has been demonizing, ostracizing, and economically attacking Iran for decades, and is now literally attempting to destroy its economy and society through its oil sanctions and its, quote-unquote, maximum pressure campaign that aims to bring the fate of Saddam Hussein and Muammar Gaddafi to its top leaders in Tehran. So what, do you th- so what do you think a regime under the veritable existential threat might gravitate towards retaliation as an alternative to extinction? And we need to be clear about the matter of striking back in self-defense. Washington's current sanctions campaign against Iran is so aggressive and brutal that it constitutes war by any other name. When you surround a sovereign nation with an armada of land, sea, and air-based high-tech lethality and then declare outright economic war on it with a barely disguised aim of regime change, it must and will fight back however it can. That's why the Secretary of State Pompeo's statement justifying the Donald's act of naked aggression is so hideous. 
Washington is putting the entire nation of Iran at risk in the very place where God or evolution, as the case may be, formed the peninsula on which it resides. And it is doing so without any Iranian provocation against the security of America homeland whatsoever. But this neon knucklehead has the gall to insist that when it comes to the actual anti-Iranian belligerents, i.e. U.S. forces, Washington has uh, bivocated? I don't know. Uh, where they have no business at all, I don't know how to say that word, where they have no business at all being, and not a hair on the head should come to harm. That's imperial arrogance of a kind rarely seen in a world history which is littered with exactly that. Uh, There's a quote from Pompeo. Uh, I can't talk too much about the nature of threats, but the American people should know that the president's decision to remove Soleimani from the battlefield saved American lives. Uh, the IRGC general had been actively plotting, quote-unquote, in the region to, quote-unquote, take big action, as he described it, that would have put hundreds of lives at risk, according to Pompeo. Undoubtedly, things will now spiral out of control because the Iranian regime must and will retaliate for Soleimani's death. Indeed, by vaporizing the latter, the Donald has now also vaporized any chance of actually implementing the uh, quote-unquote America First policy upon which he ran, and which the principal basis for his freakish election to the Oval Office. The fact is that not only the, the fact is the only decent thing Obama did on the foreign policy front was the Iran nuke deal. Under the latter, Iran gave up nucle a nuclear weapons capability it never had or wanted for the return of billions of escrow dollars which belonged to Tehran in the first place, while putting itself in a straitjacket of international inspections and control that even Houdini could not have broken free from. But the Donald wantonly shit-canned this arrangement, not because Iran violated either the letter or spirit of the deal, but because the neocons, led by his bubble-headed son-in-law and uh, Bibi Netanyahu's errand boy, Jared Kushner, blatantly lied to him about its alleged defects. Indeed, the resulting Washington pivot to the current maximum pressure aggression against Iran is fast becoming the empire most demented and shameful hour, even if it even as it crystallizes like rarely before the difference between homeland defense and imperial aggression. Under the former, not one American serviceman, contractor, or civilian official would be in harm's way because the ring of hostile bases surrounding Iran would not exist, nor would Washington be waging economic warfare on what would otherwise be a prosperous $5 million, uh, 5 million barrel per day oil trade with the world. Only empires put their citizens needlessly in harm's way and thereby trap their leaders into a cycle of violence which feeds upon itself. The Donald is now yet another American president ensnared in the kind of tit-for-tat trap that is the modus operandi of empire first. Uh, end of the article. All right, typically, this is not our bag uh, of coverage necessarily here on the show, but again, trending topics that, you know, can't get away from, we might as well uh, give you some input and, and some commentary on it as well. Uh, the reason we don't necessarily cover it is because it has no real bearing necessarily uh, on mine or our day-to-day -day lives, right? Like what Trump does in the White House, what the Iranian people do uh, in retaliation, but doesn't matter to me. You want to send out soldiers to kill? Uh, 
you know, man, go for it, right? If they, they want to volunteer to do the work, by all means, um, I don't support that either, um, but it also doesn't affect me, right? Like uh, I've, I've said it before, the only legitimate protest is a tax protest. So unless you're withholding your funds as best you can from letting them go out and do it, um, it it's going to happen. So why do we, so why do we talk about it? Well, the important aspect of it here is just to show the empire building, uh, and the potential retaliation, right? When, and it's not going to be, you know, the article says, like, if you look at the, the map of the article, uh, the ballistic missile capabilities of the Iranian government, right? In retaliation, like they're not going to be able to fire a missile, uh, but what they will be able to do, right, much like uh, 9-11, is have some uh, some anti-American uh, terrorists, whatever, uh, you know, anti, anti-American anti sentiment, create some anti-American terrorists that could very well, uh, you know, do more 9-11 style attacks here in the country. And, you know, that isn't necessarily scary. Um, because I don't, I don't, I, hopefully I don't live anywhere or I won't be anywhere nearby where they would, uh, attack. Like I'm, I'm rarely in New York. You know, I just went to DC for a few days during the holidays, but I don't, I don't typically like to spend much time there. So I'm not too concerned about that either. Um, so it doesn't really, it doesn't really impact the, the day-to-day lives. Um, so again, so why bring it up? Well, because it shows just what kind of government, uh, that most people are living under, whether you're a Trump supporter or not, this is your guy, right? He's running, you know, and say, say what you want about the next election uh, coming up, but he's likely to be your guy again uh, for the next four years. And he did this right after getting uh, impeached, potentially, uh, and with all the Twitter, the, 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 the Twitter sphere going amok about it, he knew that this was a tactic to get reelected. So in my mind, this isn't even about, uh, what's a Soleimani or Iran or whatever. This is a purely political strategy on Trump's part, uh, in order to, you know, solidify the, the wartime presidency and, and to get reelected for attacking one of America's enemies, right? Which Iran has been for decades, uh, reg- regardless of their actual positioning, uh, in the world. So, I mean, there's, again, there's not much more, to be said about it, just just pay attention. I guess is the real key. Pay attention to what's really going on. What the what the cover up uh, for this is trying to be right. Not the cover up for this, but what this is trying to cover up. I should say uh, to what's really going on, and see how uh, you know Iran and General Soleimani and you know all of that is just uh, political pawns in a grander scheme of things, which we likely will know nothing about, uh, in our lifetimes. But if you care about this sort of thing, you know, you should be, you should be anti-war, right? If, if you're listening to this show, you should definitely be anti-war and you should definitely be anti anything that could potentially start a war. Uh, and again, with the, with the nuclear capabilities of Iran being nil and with their, uh, bombing radius being very small, it's not like I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not going to fall into the World War III trap. Um, that would involve, you know, allies like China um, and Russia and whoever else, uh, maybe not, you know, getting involved um, or other, I should not say, shouldn't say allies, but other countries getting involved to, you know, support Iran uh, and helping them, you know, with the, with the retaliation, which other articles said is coming, 
right? Like that's not off the table. Retaliation is definitely on the table. They're not even calling it like defense at that point. They're just straight up saying, uh, no, we have to retaliate. This, if, if you're going to bomb us, right, and we allow it, then that only calls for more bombing. So we must, you know, diplomatically, we must retaliate in some form or fashion. Uh, so that's coming. Will it escalate into an actual World War III? Uh, probably not. Eh, but, who, but who knows? Um, and what are, what are you going to do? What are we going to do as, you know, the, the, the people in the geographic area known as the United States going to do to protect ourselves uh, from not only uh, foreign bombings, but from the misuse uh, of power uh, from, you know, the, the leaders that proclaim to rule over us? Right. If the leaders are going to be doing dumb shit like this uh, and putting, you know, putting American citizens, if you like that term, in harm's way, not just the soldiers at the bases, but if retaliation is coming, definitely American citizens. uh, What can we do to prevent that from happening? uh, And how can we not support that? Right. And again, just stop paying your taxes and and fight back the best you can. Boogaloo time. No, no, no. Can't say that. Uh, But you know what I'm talking about. Protect yourself as best you can um, and prevent this from happening in the future. And I, the truth is, I don't know. You know, if they, if they're go- if they want to do it, they're going to do it. We're, we're pretty much powerless at this point uh, to prevent it. And you have a, a, a nutcase uh, in office willing to test the boundaries of what could spark an actual war uh, for, kill- for killing a general uh, of a country that put no soldiers uh, or no, no U.S. Uh, citizens. Again, I don't really like using that word. No Americans in harm's way at all, despite what he said. Like he's all, you know, some other article said that, um, you know, he's directly responsible for some of the the protest or whatever that has hurt people in Iraq. Well, what are you doing there, right? I'm I'm sure there's not like I'm sure it's not American tourists, right, or American transplants getting attacked. It's people in embassies and military bases and whatever that should not be there in the first place, doing whatever they doing whatever they're doing over there, uh, that are like the 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 targets for these protests. Uh, it's not it's it, again it's not the tourists. It's not the 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 people who moved there for you know whatever reason. Why would you move there? I don't know. To each his own. Uh, so if you just shut down all the bases, got the you know got the Americans out of there for the, the, the for political reasons, uh, it probably wouldn't be a big deal. But you know, that's that's neither here nor there. So we'll just move it on. Now that we've got that nasty uh, current events political stuff out of the way, here we go. Next headline: Caution: Government may be hazardous to your liberty. Uh, for most people here, well, duh. But for those of you that don't, here we go. Uh, The Federal Cigarette Labeling and Advertising Act of 1965 required a health warning to be placed on packs of cigarettes sold in the United States. The original warning, which appeared on cigarette packs from January 1st, 1966 through October 31st, 1970, was Caution, cigarette smoking may be hazardous to your health. There are more dangerous things that Americans should be on the lookout for. Just before Christmas, Donald Trump signed two bills into law that f- to fund all the departments and agencies of the federal government and avert a government shutdown, according to the White House. Uh, the bills are H.R. 1158, the Consolidated Appropriations Act uh, 2020, which provided full-year funding through September 30th, 2020, for projects and activities of certain agencies of the federal government, 
and H.R. 1865, the Further Consolidated Appropriations Act 2020, which provides full-year funding through September 30th, 2020, for projects and activities of the remaining agencies of the federal government. The bills do some other things as well. Uh, and I'm just going to jump in real quick here. Uh, this article was published prior to uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, Iranian assassination, the Iranian assassination, assassination. Uh, so just keep that in mind. If they're talking about the, you know, the, the bad stuff that Trump does, it was before the really bad stuff that he just did. Uh, back to the article. They expand paid family leave said President Trump, I am proud to report after that, after decades of empty promises and inactions, the legislation I have signed into law provides 12 weeks of paid parental leave for federal employees. This ensures parents are not forced to choose between their jobs and spending precious time with their children. They gave U.S. military personnel and most federal workers a 3.1% pay raise, said President Trump to federal workers. This pay raise reflects the excellent work of our federal workforce. And to service members, your selfless service, noble sacrifice, and unfailing allegiance to duty and country is what keeps America safe, strong, proud, and free. Uh, they repeal three taxes in the Affordable Care Act, uh, Obamacare, the so-called Cadillac tax on generous employer health plans, taxes on health insurance companies, and taxes on medical device makers. They reauthorize the U.S. Export-Import Bank, and they raise the federal age for purchasing tobacco products from 18 to 21 years old. Specifically, in the Further Consolidated Appropriations Act 2020, under Division N, Health and Human Services Extenders in Title I, Health and Human Services Extenders, Subtitle F, Miscellaneous Provision, Section 603, Minimum Age of Sale of Tobacco Products, it states, uh, in general, Section 906D of the Federal Drug Food Cosmetic Act, blah, 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 is amended in paragraph, blah, 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 striking 18 years and inserting 21 years, and by adding at the end of the following minimum age of sale, it shall be unlawful for any retailer to sell a tobacco product to any person younger than 21 years of age. Uh, this is something that has been in the works all year. Back in May, Senator Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, Representative uh, Republican from uh, Kentucky, and Senator, Senator Tim Kaine, Democrat Virginia, introduced a bill, the Tobacco-Free Youth Act, to raise the federal minimum age for purchasing tobacco products to 21. We're in the middle of a national health epidemic, said McConnell in a speech on the Senate floor. Kaine said in a statement, today we are coming together to side with young people's health. With this bipartisan legislation, Senator McConnell and I are working to address one of the most significant public health issues facing our nation today. American Heart Association CEO Nancy Brown said she supports the bill, saying in a statement, We commend Majority Leader McConnell and Senator Kane for prioritizing the health of teens and young adults with a bill to raise the national sale age for tobacco products to 21. We urge strong bipartisan support for this bill as written, and we call on lawmakers to reject any effort to add language that would weaken its impact or benefit tobacco companies. At the same time, but in the House, Representative Donna E. Shalala, uh, Democrat Florida, sometimes Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services under Bill Clinton, and Frank Pallone, Democrat New Jersey, current Energy and Commerce Chairman, introduced a similar bill. The Reversing the Youth Tobacco Epidemic Act of 2019. We're trying to protect children, says Shalala in an interview with CQ magazine. With the passage of the Further Consolidated Appropriations Act 2020, those bills are now irrelevant. Anyone with half a brain in the United States knows that smoking cigarettes is dangerous, destructive, and deadly. 
According to the Center of Disease Control and Prevention, cigarette smoking is the leading preventable cause of death in the United States. Smoking causes more deaths each year than the following causes combined. Uh, HIV, illegal drug use, alcohol use, motor vehicle injury, firearm-related incidents. More than 10 times as many U.S. citizens have died prematurely from cigarette smoking as have died in all the wars fought by the United States. Cigarette smoking increases the risk for death from all causes in men and women. But none of that means that the federal government should raise the federal age for, for, for purchasing tobacco products from 18 to 21. Consider the following. Uh, first of all, uh, the Constitution. Nowhere does the Constitution authorize the federal government to set a minimum age for anyone to purchase tobacco products. And not only that, neither does the Constitution authorize the federal government to have anything to do with smoking tobacco or anything else. Tobacco was a plentiful commodity at the time the Constitution was written. If the framers wanted to mention tobacco in the Constitution, they certainly could have done so. Second, unnecessary legislation. Uh, 16 states, the District of Columbia, and more than 500 localities have already raised their minimum age to purchase tobacco products to 21. These states are Arkansas, California, Connecticut, Delaware, Hawaii, Illinois, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Texas, Vermont, and Virginia. The minimum age increases to 21 next year in Pennsylvania and Washington and Utah in 2021. Some other states have had, uh, have had a legal age between 18 and 21. The new federal tobacco legislation is an assault on federalism and the 10th Amendment. Third, the proper role of government. It's, it is, is it the proper role of government to keep the peace and punish those who violate the personal or property rights of others? Or is it the proper role of government to be a nanny state that micromanages the behavior of its citizens? The federal government not only shouldn't have a minimum age of 21 to purchase tobacco, it shouldn't even have a minimum of 18. Fourth, consistency. There are many dangerous activities that Americans engage in every day, and sometimes they lead to serious injury or death. Here are 10 of them. Skydiving, bungee jumping, operating a chainsaw, climbing a ladder, riding a motorcycle, working as a roofer, fisherman, logger, or miner, uh, taking prescription drugs, driving a car, taking a bath, and crossing the street. If the government is going to have a minimum age for tobacco purchases to protect children, then why not a minimum age to engage in those other dangerous activities to protect even more children? And why not a maximum age to protect the elderly? Oh, fuck, don't give them ideas. Fifth, second-class citizens. At the age of 18, Americans have, had, have the legal right to marry, enter into contracts, adopt children, vote in elections, and join the military and possibly die for their country. Yet, with this new tobacco legislation, the federal government is instituting a second class of citizens who can do all of those things but not buy a pack of cigarettes. And sixth, the nature of government. Government has always been the greatest violator of personal freedom and property rights. A former Foundation of Economics Education President Richard Ebeling put it, there has been no greater threat to life, liberty, and property through the, throughout the ages than government. Even the most violent and brutal private ind individuals have been able to inflict only a mere fraction of the harm and destruction that have been caused by the use of power by political authorities, regardless of how dangerous, destructive, or deadly the use of tobacco might be, the government's the government hazard to the individual liberty and personal freedom of Americans is infinitely more dangerous, destructive, and deadly. End of the article.
always in the guise of protecting the children, eh? Right? Uh, how old are children? I don't know. Guess it's 21 now. Who knows? Who knows what it'll be next time they pass similar legislation uh, to raise it to 25 or 29 or 30 or whatever it happens to be. Um, but like like the headline states, it's, you know, this article covers, you know, the, the one hazard of smoking cigarettes. Uh, but government itself, no matter what they do, right, the, every law passed is some violation of your natural rights and some restrictions on your liberties, right? It's, it's rare where uh, legislation gets passed in some form or fashion that gives back your rights, that gives you more freedoms, right? It's always, it's always taking them away incrementally every time they're in session. Just more and more restrictions, limitations on what you can do as a free person. Uh, and like I said, hazardous to, to your health, uh, you know, more, more so the government, right? Let, uh, not allowing you to do things. Uh, not allowing you to be free, not allowing you to have the liberties uh, to choose what you wish to put into your body or what you wish to do uh, with your life. You know, any any sort of licensing, right, is a, is a restriction on your freedom, on your liberty. And then, you know, like the, the meme says, sold back to you uh, so that you can go ahead and, and participate in those activities. And I don't, you know, <laughs> one thing I don't like about the article is listing off all the things that they're going to come after next, right? What's what's next? Ah, skydiving, budgie jumping, chainsaw operating, right? How long until they go like, well, you know, as long as they've got the list ready for us and those things are more dangerous, let's go after that too. In the guise of protecting the children. Um, you know, I when, when it comes to cigarettes, uh, I don't have many underage friends anymore. But when I did, oh boy, did I hook them up. Uh, got busted a few times. Uh, for, for, you know, by, by sting operations for selling to minors, uh, got away with most of them, right? Like, you know, the three, uh, three tickets, two, uh, two, two releases, only one conviction out of uh, the three times I got busted doing it. Um, so I feel, I feel pretty confident about it. And when my, with my friends would need cigarettes, I'd buy it from them and charge them a commission. So this doesn't prevent, uh, underage people from smoking. It just makes it more difficult and more expensive uh, to, to get the fix or the, you know, the vice that they need. Uh, and I would, you know, I would say if you can afford to do it, you know, if you have the money to buy cigarettes, like however you earn that money, uh, you can do with it as you please. And there's no, no government, no boss, no parent around, uh, that should be able to limit what you can do with your money. Uh, if you're getting your money as an allowance, the best they can do is restrict, the, uh, giving you the allowance, Right. Um, but if you if you go out and work hard and earn that money, uh, it should be yours. Even with the drinking age, I had a friend who you know worked very hard, was an apprentice uh, in a, at a trade uh, organization. I'm not gonna not gonna say which, just in case I don't want to give it away. Uh, but you know, used to drink, and I used to buy him alcohol when he was underage. And you know, one time we went out to dinner. He was you know he was making good money. It was like. I, think he paid for dinner that night he was like he took us all out to dinner um and he, he wanted to order a drink and he foolishly you know let on that he was going to be underage um so he wasn't able to but he was complaining it's like i work hard for my money i should be able to spend it on what i want and i said you're absolutely right you should but you you know you kind of blew that when you when you didn't just order a drink and got carted you know you you should have you should have taken my advice and just ordered a drink. I'd order a drink, whatever. You can have mine. Uh, 
just to just to show that you know we we don't need to be carded in that matter um luckily for him we had stopped off at a liquor store prior and bought those little self-serve vials of of you know uh vodka whatever it was he was drinking that night um so he was able to like sneak off into the bathroom and do a few shots uh to you know enhance his mood or to do as he wishes as an adult uh, working hard in society so yeah so no uh, no government, no government rule, law, regulation ever, ever enhances your liberty. They just take it away. And again, in this case, under the guise of protecting the children um, from a product that everyone knows is bad for you, right? Like there's, there's no one's out there going like, no, no, this cigarette thing, this, you know, this is going to be beneficial. You, you, you'll get this. You'll get. Everyone knows it's a vice. Everyone knows there's no real benefit. Everyone knows it's all downhill. And yet, millions of people choose to do it anyway. Um, for whatever reason, I don't know. Couldn't tell you because I don't. And I've never, I've never heard a convincing argument to start smoking, only regret and the inability to quit, right? So everyone knows that it's bad, and yet some people choose to do it anyway. Um, and those that want to do it aren't going to be stopped uh, by this law, uh, this federal law, just inconvenienced you know, in some form or fashion. So not only is it unnecessary, unconstitutional, doesn't really, doesn't really do what they want it to do, which is prevent underage people from smoking. It's just one more thing that they can bust you for, right? Uh, one more thing that they can uh, hold over your head, uh, if they want to harass you for, for whatever reason, right? It's not like, it's not like it's preventing underage people from smoking, but it will generate more revenue if they can catch you. Right. It, it, it makes the act that you were going to do anyway a lot more uh, a lot more risky uh, when doing it around them. Right. There, there's been things popped up where, you know, oh, my God. Now, when you get pulled over at a traffic stop, what's that? I smell cigarette smoke. You know, let me see. Let me see. And then, you know, and, and they go on from there. So just more more restrictions on your liberty and more power uh, to the state to harass people uh, for things that they you know, have a natural right to do, even if it may not be in anyone's best interest to do, it still should be your right, uh, <laughs> to inhale, inject, uh, or ingest whatever you want into your own body. Moving on. All right. Here's another one about how those in power and in control, uh, hold you back. Authorities have always prevented uh, headline authorities have always prevented the bright future of humankind. Uh, authorities have power over people, and they enjoy this power. They preserve their power in society primarily by imposing knowledge on people. Authorities have been teaching us everything we know. Nothing can come to us if it doesn't pass the filter of authorities. We are what the authorities made us become, and it is challenging to escape from it. If you love baseball, democracy, or God, this is because the authorities made you love it. People hardly get a chance to love something if the authorities did not let them, even though people believe that they have free will. The point is, people may only choose the options that authorities give them. Inconvenient options for authorities are not even accessible to people. For example, society has never developed the knowledge of how to create a just society because the authorities have prevented searching for the solution. When people build something new on the top of the choices of authorities give them, this is only the development of the will of the authorities. 
Authorities create rules which implement social policy, and people have to obey them. These rules have become the origin of social sciences. Authorities have always supported social ideas that followed their interests and suppressed those that didn't. Therefore, social scientists have followed the interests of authorities and not of the people. As a result, social sciences alienate society from social justice. We may accept that social scientists acted the best they could under the pressures of authorities, but also their work prevents the progress of society. Even when social scientists want to improve society, they can hardly do it because the alienated knowledge they accepted from their predecessors put them on the wrong path. Through the history of humankind, authorities have supported the creation of complex social sciences that prevent us from finding the escape from social problems. We think the way the authorities taught us to think, and that prevents us from searching for the bright future of humankind. Social scientists have developed democracy and presented it as the best political choice of the people, by the people, for the people. According to this introduction, democracy must have been in the interest of authorities. Otherwise, it would not be allowed to exist. Authorities have learned that dictatorship initiates a rebellion of people, which may take their lives. They found it more convenient to control the social policy secretly by manipulating people. Today, they do it by controlling politicians, scientists, and media with the economic powers they possess. I have presented how efficient they are in the article, The Conspiracy of the World Exposed. As a result, we have a democracy that follows the interests of the elite and not of the people. It is nothing else but a form of dictatorship that keeps, prevent, that keeps preventing the freedom of people. Democracy must have been a design forgery of the authorities. We name the authorities in capitalism, the elite. We call them the elite because they do not rule over society openly as authorities historically did, but by secretly using the wealth they possess. Their power is nothing lesser than the power of dictators who openly ruled, but it's much more secure and stable. People cannot replace the elite from power because they do not know who they are. The politicians who work for the elite listen to their messages very carefully because otherwise they would lose financial support from the elite and would not be able to be politicians. Scientists know as well that if they do not obey the elites, they will not get grants for their researches and they would not be able to be scientists. This is the reason social scientists present capitalism as the final stage in the development of society, at least by not offering real solutions that might improve capitalism if not replacing it. The whole, the whole philosophy of capitalism is to let capitalists make profits. All of that paths that achieve this goal today lead to the exploitation of workers. The capitalism we know is very unjust. Social scientists prevent ideas which may endanger the status of the elite and support ideas that help the elite survive. The elite has encouraged social scientists to support Marxism because the elite knew in advance that Marxism would put the workers on a wrong path that could not replace capitalism. History has proved it. It also shows that the elite can cheat on the highest intellectuals. If Marxism were able to replace capitalism, the elite would ban it, and not one Marxist would be able to propagate Marxism freely. I have explained this in the article, Marx Still Prevents the Progress of Society. All organizations in the Western world that fight for a better future need money for their operations, 
and they can get it only from the elite because nobody else has it. By depending on the elite, these organizations lose their strength in fighting for social justice and a better world. Instead of being corrupted by the elite, they rather mislead the people and prevent the bright future of humankind. All the information available to people is created and supported by the elite. The elite owns the mainstream media of the Western world, but they hide it. So-called independent media desperately needs money for their operations, and they may get it only from the elite because nobody else has the financial power to support them. They pay the support by being obedient to the elite. They do not publish material the elite do not like. On the other hand, when the elite are interested in promoting something, they may find information about it wherever you turn your head. When you see persistent media reporting, you may well be aware that it is created to deceive you. For example, people are perplexed about what exactly happened on the 9-11 terrorist attacks thanks to the elite who invested billions of dollars in the 9-11 false propaganda. They did it to hide their involvement in 9-11, but also to deceive and mislead people. The elite used 9-11 to conquer independent countries around the world and to reduce the freedom of people. The elite are masters of deception. Their manipulation also divides people because then they cannot change anything. I explained what happened on 9-11 in my article, My Investigation of 9-11. Uh, global warming propaganda is about increasing restrictions in CO2 production, which has the intention of keeping the power of the elite by preventing the progress of the world, especially in developing countries. Yet the Sahara Desert expands and the Arctic shrinks as a result of global warming, but it does not affect the rich countries. The elite has created the global warming issue, not because they are concerned about climate change, but because they want to enforce rules to control the world. In a similar example, the development of nuclear weapons is forbidden in countries that do not have it. It should oblige developed countries to get rid of their nuclear weapons as well, as they do not have any intention to do it. The elite has initiated all the events and talks in the Western world. Nothing beside it on a public level exists. That means people think the way the elites made them think. That means whatever people do, they cannot do nothing but support the elite. This is the reason nothing changes. Today's society is an authoritarian dictatorship that prevents people from freedom of creating and meeting their needs. All social problems have their origin in authoritarian systems, and an escape from the social issues lies in equal human rights. Equal human rights will create good societies unconditionally by giving everyone the same opportunities. This is what authorities have prevented from all the history of humankind, and as a result, we do not know even what equal human rights are. There is no such thing as partially equal human rights, because these human rights are not equal. There is only one package of equal human rights, and it should not be rocket science to discover how equal human rights are supposed to look. Everyone can come up with the idea alone if they eliminate all rights that are not equal and try to imagine the equal human rights replacement. The problem is quite simple, and yet society has not defined equal human rights so far. To be able to define human rights, we need to rethink all of the imposed knowledge authorities have produced through the history of humankind. Social scientists not only do not want to do it, but they also refuse new ideas that reconsider the alienated knowledge they have accepted. Social scientists should develop society, but in fact they prevent the development of society and the bright future of humankind. People tend not to accept new ideas that question the established way of thinking. Once we start loving baseball, democracy, or God, we keep loving it no matter what. 
As a result, people live in a deception created by authorities from the day they are born till the day they die. It alienates them from a good life, and it's tough to change. A couple of quotes, George Orwell, The further a society drifts from truth, the more it will hate those who speak it. And Mark Twain, It's easier to fool people than convince them that they have been fooled. The fight for equal human rights will not be easy, but is well worth it. Once we start establishing equal human rights, a bright future of humankind will begin. And defining equal human rights is very simple. Uh, I did it in the article, Equal Human Rights uh, Will Build a Good Society Unconditionally. I might as well give you the author, uh, Alexander Sarovich. Uh, that way, you know, because it referenced some of his other articles. That's the end of this one, though. Uh, end of the article. All right. Obviously, I don't agree with everything in this article. Um, so I want to make a couple of distinctions, I guess. Um, for me, the authorities they're talking about uh, start and end with the political class, right? Like, I don't really care about the deep state. I don't really care about the wealthy elites um, because without the apparatus of government for them to control, uh, their power and their wealth have no bearing on me, right? They can, they can believe what they want. They can do what they want. They can think what they want. Uh, but without, the, without their control over the authority that is the state, uh, it doesn't matter, right? So I, that's where I personally draw the line. That's why when people say like, well, we need to get rid, eat the rich. We need to get rid of the bankers. I go, man, I don't really care, right? They're, they're not the ones in control of me. Right. I, you know, I was at a, a dinner of a few nights ago and it was uh, just so surrounding uh, religiosity uh, and the authority of God and, you know, and uh, Jesus of the Bible. And I go, well, I'm an atheist and I don't care. Right. You believe what you want. If you need that stuff, good for you. Uh, I draw the line when you try to use those justifications uh, to control my behavior. Right. So I don't really care. Uh, so what I'm saying is I don't really care about, uh, I don't really care about all of that right now. Do they use those seats of power, uh, to, to manipulate what's out there? Do they use it to manipulate the media? Absolutely. Do they use it to manipulate, um, the educational system? Absolutely. Do they use it to manipulate uh, the scientists? Absolutely. Or the sciences, I should say. Absolutely. Right. It's, it's why, you know, data always comes out so biased, and why it's and why the the push is uh, for settled science, right? It's, it's already been done. We we don't need to investigate any further, um, which isn't what science is all about. So I, I get that part. Um, the other part that I guess I disagree with is you know the the uh, authority the authority that is the capitalist uh, economic system, uh, which also came up at dinner. Like I identify as an ANCAP, um, and when someone asked me what does that mean, I go I, I want a capitalist economic system. Uh, absent the state's intervention. And for me, all that capitalist economic system means is voluntarily uh, free trade, voluntary free trade amongst consenting individuals, right? When you eliminate the state's coercion, it doesn't matter if there's a wealthy elite class or not, right? They don't get to decide the lives of people or of the people, right? They don't, they don't get to dictate conditions, um, you know, as a, as a, as a way to manipulate people to, to giving them more profits. Uh, for me, that's a choice of the workers, 
right? It's, it's the best, if the best alternative they have is to go work for the greedy capitalists, uh, well, then they, that's what they choose to do. And if you want to provide another alternative for them to, to another outlet for them to work in, uh, well, guess what? The beautiful thing about the capitalist economic structure uh, is it allows you to do so, right? There's no one holding you back from competing with the capitalists. What holds that uh, movement back now is the capitalist use of the state political structure, right? The, the passing of laws that restrict competition, uh, the granting of privileges that prevent, you know, new entrants from entering the market. And so when you eliminate the state aspect of it, the restrictive aspect of it, um, all you have is open competition and the best ideas should thrive, Right. If your idea of, uh, you know, to take down the mighty uh, capitalist pig uh, sitting in his, you know, penthouse office or whatever, you know, whatever you picture, you know, that the, the greedy fat cat to be. If your idea is so much better than that, uh, then it should prevail and he'll either have to adapt or concede uh, in the market, in the actual marketplace and not be able to rely on the authority that is the state uh, to to assist him with that. Uh, sciences, the sciences as well. Like, you know, uh, my son at one point said he wanted to be some sort of biologist. And I said, well, that's going to be difficult for me to support uh, because most of the funding that science gets comes from the state. Uh, you know, it's extracted via taxation and then provided, you know, provided uh, to the scientists to conduct whatever research. And I couldn't support uh, that aspect of it. So are the sciences manipulated? Absolutely. But why are they manipulated uh, is because the best source of funding that they can get um, is from the state, which also leads to some bloat science. Um, I think Rand Paul usually does the list. I think Ron Paul may have done it before of all the unnecessarily funded science experiments um, and research that's done uh, with government funding over the course of the year. Right. It's, it's ridiculous research that no one would fund otherwise because it matters so little in the grand scheme of things. Uh, and if you go like, well, that's that's what science is. You have to fund it. Uh, no, you don't. You don't. You don't. You absolutely don't. Like there, there are certain things um, that I think would get funded regardless. Uh, and right now, you know, the the big ones are, you know, uh, cancer. I guess that's that's the biggest one I can think of off the top of my head. I think that that would get funded uh, absent the state because so many people uh, either suffer from it or have loved ones that do, right? I can't imagine, I can't imagine people going like, no, we don't need to solve this thing. Uh, but the problem right now with the, the state funded mechanism in place, right? In my opinion is that the funding goes in to creating, uh, not cures, but symptom relief, right? That you'll never find a cure for cancer as long as all the, as long as people are searching for symptom relief, uh, as opposed to the cure, because, you know, like they say, there's no money in the cure. Like once you do that, then all the other drugs, you know, stops coming in. But if you eliminate the state mechanism, then there absolutely would be funding and money in the cure because people would demand it. Right. And once it is cured, you'd have all that money that you can go into research and developing uh, the next uh, into solving the next problem. Because it's not like once you get rid of one medical issue that all of, you know, all of medical history is like done for, right? Like how many, you know, they talk about, you know, the, the, the vaccines that still get put in place and whatever. Now, no one suffers from polio anymore because we've eradicated it. Good. So let's eradicate one and then move on to the next. It's not like people stopped getting sick. It's not like people stopped, you know, uh, suffering. 
So let's just do that instead. Let's move the funding into in you know into cure everything uh, as it comes up, and we'll you know will certain things you know will will there be things that that are gone unconsidered? Sure, all along the way. Like I don't I don't think that you know solving medical uh, problems uh, is like the be all end all of of the medical field. Like once once it's solved, then that's it. The research is done, and we don't need it. New things will come up. As, as the earth evolves, as humanity evolves, as we all move forward. Uh, so I, I don't even, I don't even want to worry uh, ab- about that. It's just, you know, focus on the cure and get the authorities, get the state out of the way of that. Um, the article gets into to 9-11. And sure, like, what is the truth there? And my response has always been, uh, you'll never know. And who cares? Right? Like, it's not about what's the truth. It's about what are we going to do knowing that we can't trust the, the authorities in the state, in the government, to provide us with truthful answers, and what do we do about that, right? There's, there's, there's so many conspiracy theories surrounding like this one terrorist attack that even if the truth were to come out, no one would believe it, and there'd be no way to prove it, and we are so far removed from actually collecting evidence uh, on the attack itself, that there's no way anything's firsthand anymore. So why, so why bother with that as well? Uh, but just like I said at the beginning, uh, with the with the you know Donald Trump uh, assassination article, right? It's it's what do you do now, knowing that you, they're they're not doing anything on your behalf, they're not working in your favor. It's not even America first, right? It's not even the American people first, or you know whatever whatever that means to you. Um, what are you going to do about it now? How can you live your life in such a way where number one, um, you're not in a position where that happens to you. And number two, what do you do with the information that you have? And for me, I don't really care about nine 11, right? It, it happened. So what is an inside job? Most likely, uh, how do I live my life now? Well, I don't believe stuff that, you know, that comes from, uh, the, the state sponsored sources, right? I don't take that information as true or real or in any sense whatsoever. I just, I distrust it. Um, and so if the, if the authorities are controlling all the media, right? Um, well then are, are we to assume that they're controlling, uh, the non mainstream media as well? Are we, are we assuming that the authorities are in control of the alt media as well? Uh, I don't believe so, right? I think, I think the internet has provided us a way to get, uh, alter, alternate information, uh, alternate perspectives, um, that we can use to, you know, uh, formulate our own opinions or, or, uh, use those against our own biases, right? Like I said, you know, like when I started the show today, I said, you know, this, this is dominating the news cycle. This Trump thing, this, uh, uh, assassination of Soleimani is dominating the news cycle. There's no way to get around it. We might as well talk about it. Well, as this article says, it's that's but because that's what they want us to see, right? That's the only information they want us to have. Um, so, so how do we dig deeper to find out what they're covering up um, and what they're trying to hide by only pushing this one narrative? Uh, and if that matters to you, then you know you tell me what are they doing? Uh, what are they covering up in, in that respect? And what can you do about it? Well, look to the alternate media, uh, the alternative media, and. But don't even take that as the source of absolute truth just because they're diverging from the true story, right? There, there are nuts and crazy people out there talking about God knows what uh, 
to get so any sort of attention that they can. So it's it's about uh, knowing where you're at in the world and getting the information and and running it through your own truth filters, right? Because everyone's got them. You kind of you kind of know whether or not you're being lied to. Uh, call it a gut feeling. Call it experience over time. However you develop it. Um, but you have to you have to remove yourself from that authoritarian mindset of of believing what you're being told, and it's difficult for people who have been through the public school system or the private school system or any sort of the traditional educational models to get that thought process out of their head because that's what they've been exposed to. They've been said, you know, what the teacher says goes, and that's what you get tested for. So that's the information you have to know, and breaking free from that requires a lot of self-reflection and a lot of self-work, but it can be done. Um, and once that is done, then those are the people that are going to be working towards the bright future of humankind um, in parallel to the destruction uh, that the authorities and the state and the government are trying to run it. Right? Those are the agorists out there doing real uh, you know, uh, counter-economics, uh, as they like to call it, or as we like to call it, to get things done uh, outside of the state apparatus or on the black market or on the underground to show that we don't need these authorities in place, to show that we don't need these restrictions in place, to show that we can move humankind forward um, even when they're trying to hold it back, right? And it may be on a small scale and it may need to build from there, um, but those people who have shifted their mindset away from this authoritarian perspective and this uh, this viewpoint that authority knows best, uh, those are the ones pushing humanity forward, not the ones who just go to their nine to five mundane federal job uh, saying, yes, sir, no, sir, whatever you say, boss, type of people. Those aren't the ones. Real The, the, the bright future of humanity is going to be for a select elite, if I dare say the word, uh, of 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 you know counter economists of of agorists of people who have shifted that mindset away from those of the authority of authority and those of more cooperation of how can we move this forward together even if that means competing with each other on certain things right you know counter you, you can have more than one drug dealer uh, in a neighborhood for instance right if they're if they're both trying to undermine the state uh, as it were just an example all right. Uh, I'm pressed for time as well. Glad I made it through the show. Uh, thank you very much for listening. You know where to find us, anarchistexperience.com, minds.com slash the anarchist experience. And if you'd like to contribute to the show financially, uh, you can do so through Patreon, patreon.com slash the anarchist experience. Hopefully next week will be more of a dialogue uh, if MC is returning. Uh, as always, we'll talk to you all next week. Peace.